Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. I'm excited to be joined today once again by Rich Hamill. We're going to talk environmental justice, a very timely topic. It is fresh on Rich's mind. He just presented a webinar on this yesterday. So we're going to go with the podcast format for the topic. And Rich has been very closely following EJ policy, uh, both a federal and various state level. And you've heard from Rich in the past. We've talked about some PM2.5. We've talked about EJ. So we've covered a whole variety of topics together. So, Rich, welcome back. And I'm going to start with a general observation. And you could tell me if this is consistent with what you've been seeing. But we knew coming into the federal administration and where, what are we, 14 months in or so at this point, that EJ would be a priority, climate would be a priority, and those would be the top two. It certainly feels that way for EJ. It feels like EJ has been the focus and new formal regulatory developments have maybe been a little bit on the lighter side. So I go to you to comment on that and see if you have any general take on how EJ has developed versus maybe what you expected coming in. Yeah, well, it's certainly one of the highest priorities for the administration. We've seen that. It's mentioned in just about each and every communique that comes out of the administration, regardless of, of what the, the main topic is. I think for the first year or so of the administration, we've heard a lot of talk and planning around what the administration wants to accomplish and how they're going to accomplish it and such, uh, but not a lot of progress in terms of actual proposed regulations from the federal level. We think that is probably going to change towards the end of this year. And the administration's been using, I guess, some of the the rules that have been in place for a long time, but maybe not enforced so heavily in order to try to get things done. But we haven't yet seen that new regulation uh, put out for consideration. And I think the focus that we're going to have here and why we focus on EJ so much is that it's a either a policy or a regulatory influence it could have on things like permit renewals, things like construction permits, you know, those important things that uh, companies need to keep their operations going day to day under a permit or that they need to do an important project. So we're going to continue to focus on it. Rich, I lack of regulatory development so far, like you mentioned, can you tell us a little bit about and I think this ties in with EJ, but maybe it's even more broad, this one tool a month <laughs> concept and uh, where did that come from and what does it mean? And then maybe let's talk about some of the tools. But first and foremost, tell me about one tool a month. Yeah, well, you know, we're all engineers and scientists and we like to have numbers and things to shoot for in, ter in terms of complying with uh, requirements and such. And so the tools, I think, are an attempt to classify and identify what communities out there would be considered environmental justice or not so that we can kind of get to the next step of, okay, now you've got an environmental justice community. What do you have to do in order to comply with any additional requirements? But in terms of the tools, 
for one thing, there are a number of different agencies that are working on them. So they all kind of spit them out whenever they're ready. And, uh, you know, the two main ones that we've seen come out in the last month, uh, EJ Screen 2.0 and the Climate and Economic Justice Screening Tool that came out from the Council of Environmental Quality, sort of coincidental that they came out at the same time and really with different purposes. But I think it's, again, it's um, in a sort of an overview. It's an attempt to get data out there and classifications out there that can be used to support the actual initiatives. Rich, let's talk about the EJ Screen tool just a little bit more. EJ Screen has been a tool that's been available at a federal level for a long time, but this is a new iteration of it that came out oh, a month or so ago, or maybe a little longer. Time is blurring together. What does the newest iteration of EJ Screen do differently that companies should be aware of? And, and maybe what are some things that folks can look at with that tool to understand you know, the data that's presented within? Yeah, well, the most important thing is that the interface has been changed and updated so that it's easier to get to a lot of the underlying data that kind of builds on the EJ indices, which are really the main part of the tool. So, you know, in quick summary, the main focus of the tool are these 12 different environmental justice indexes that are different categories that are a combination of environmental indicators and the demographics of the communities around them kind of weighted together to create this EJ index. So originally, uh, in the previous version of the tool, you could get to those easily enough and display them. But now the, uh, the environmental indicators, which are always accessible, are now really brought to the forefront so you can see them very easily. And so now sometimes you can see a community that might not have uh, a high negative score, if you will, on an environmental justice scale all of a sudden really stands out as having some uh, environmental issues in general to deal with. There's also a lot of other tools or other parts of the tool in terms of data that's added that aren't really weighed directly into the environmental justice index, like climate change data, service gaps, things like that, that are kind of part of the administration's, uh, they're on the radar, if you will, not necessarily with environmental justice, but, but again, kind of supporting this idea of making the data more available and easy to get to for the public. EJ Screen being a compilation, I want to summarize it and just make sure we're on the same page. So it's a it's a tool that combines environmental and social information that I suppose EPA has decided is important, makes that accessible and also helps to define and I believe is is used now by state agencies and perhaps by public stakeholders that are commenting on applications, but it can be sort of used to define which areas you'd classify as EJ areas. Is that a good synopsis of the tool and maybe how it's being used right now? Is there more to it? Um, no, that, that pretty much summarizes it. I think it's important, however, to say that uh, EPA is fairly adamant that you're not supposed to definitively use that tool to say this community is environmental justice or mm -hmm. not. So, um, you know, we always kind of use a community that has an environmental justice index in the 80th percentile or higher as generally, you know, this is one that has environmental justice concerns, but they're, they're fairly adamant that you're not really supposed to do that, even though they do it themselves. And um, I think a lot of other agencies do as well because there are, you know, not an, a lot of other tools available. States have been using the 
first version of EJ Screen for a long time you know, for their own purposes. And everybody uses it a little bit differently. There's not really one concrete definition as to how to use it. For companies that have renewals coming up and certainly construction permit applications, good idea to take a look at the new EJ screen tool to understand the data that's presented and the percentiles like Rich mentioned, even though there's no bright lines, but good idea to understand them. And really, even if there isn't permitting going on, but just to plan ahead, understanding what's in this tool. We've seen some state agencies are starting to incorporate EJ screen results into their permit memorandum and and write-ups and things like that. But is there anything else specifically, Rich, that you've seen state agencies do or, or any state agencies that use the tool for even more? Well, I think they're they're using it probably as part of their permit review process and mm -hmm. uh, evaluating whether they they need to have the, the applicant take a, a closer look at certain environmental justice issues. Uh, one thing that's good about the tool is it can help identify around you which are the communities in particular that you might want to engage and, and get you know ahead of before you're doing some kind of a permit action so that you know, maybe you can uh, execute some sort of an outreach program that involves the community and gets them to know your facility a little bit more before the first thing that they hear about a project is when the, the draft permit drops and now they feel like it's too late for them to have any kind of input. Rich, let's talk a little bit about the climate tool. What What is it? What does it present, generally speaking, and how does it fit into EJ or does it not fit into EJ? I know they, like you said, they coincidentally came out at the same time, EJ screen and the climate tool, but walk us through that. Yeah, literally within hours of each other on the same day. So the climate and economic justice screening tool is a little more specific than EJ screen in the sense that it is specifically designed to identify which communities are those that need to be addressed as part of the Justice 40 initiative, which was announced in the very first executive order the administration put out around climate and environmental justice. So what the tool does uh, is it identifies at a census tract level whether a community is disadvantaged or not. So this causes a little bit of confusion because over on the EJ screen side, you're identifying communities as overburdened here you're identifying them as economically disadvantaged and they don't necessarily cross over. But the idea is that 40% of any government initiative that um, is being undertaken, 40% of that benefit from that initiative is supposed to go to these communities that are identified as disadvantaged in the tool. So this tool has that very focused purpose and in fact, it's focused to the point where a lot of the environmental justice advocates have some serious issues with how the tool is is uh, written up as it is right now. Rich, let's let's walk a little bit through some state agency activity. I know we've been tracking things at the state agency level and then talk about federal activity here in a minute. But in conversations with state agencies, are there states that are putting together their own tools? Are there states that are putting together their own more formal policies in the absence of federal policy or regulation? What's kind of a broad brush? I know there's 50 states. We can't get into all of them. But what's a broad brush on, on the different categories we're seeing there? Yeah, there's a very wide range of what's going on at a state level from really nothing much at all to uh, some pretty 
directed uh, environmental justice policy development and regulation making. New Jersey is, I guess, at the forefront of, of the states uh, across the country in that they're the only ones who actually have an environmental justice law with permitting requirements that's passed, although they've actually been struggling and it's taken a while for them to implement it. In fact, the, the rule was passed a year ago and it's still not completely implemented at this point. A lot of other states are at various stages of doing the same. California is probably the next in line with their their rule uh, AB 1001. This made it to their state Senate and uh, now just needs the Senate approval to go into effect. Uh, A lot of other states are developing policy statements and have put together committees to discuss rulemaking, uh, but a lot of those are kind of in their early stages. And then, you know, we've seen a lot more literature and things on uh, the various states' websites around policy and kind of kind of like an overview type policy that says, okay, we're going to evaluate environmental justice as part of our permitting process, but no real specifics and no actual rulemaking in that way. And then again, there are other states that really haven't made any progress or don't really plan on advancing their own environmental justice policy. In any case, the advice that we've been giving to companies is to not really consider any permitting that's coming up routine, not even normal operating permit renewals, because even outside of EJ, there's been more of an influx of, of public comments, perhaps in certain states, than, uh, than some of those state agencies are accustomed to. So they might be able to give feedback to companies on maybe even how to address some of those common themes or common comments that they're seeing in applications that are being submitted. So, and, and of course, EJ would be a topic of conversation there as well, just to make sure there's no brand new developments in the, uh, in the states in which you operate, where you might have renewals or projects coming up. Rich, let's talk about federal. Now, you mentioned that from a federal lens, there would be some, potentially some regulatory activity coming up around EJ. What are, what's expected or what's anticipated? Yeah, the the one that we've been waiting for is the cumulative impact assessment guidance, which has been delayed. It was originally supposed to come out in uh, towards the end of 2021, and then in Q1 of this year. And recently, the Science Advisory Board had a couple of meetings asking for advice and suggestions about how their research could support cumulative impact assessment guidance, which suggests that you know it's probably not going to come out toward till towards the end of the year. But the idea around that is that around an environmental justice community, you might have specific requirements around assessing overlapping environmental hazards. So not just your air emissions, uh, but also your water emissions, waste related issues, toxics, all that stuff kind of uh, added all together. And how does that impact the community? Um, and the part that's been challenging around that guidance is that it also includes non-chemical stressors. So, you know, a higher at-risk local population for whatever reason, and whether that community is more or less capable of uh, taking on an, an additional environmental burden, if you will. So they're going to have some sort of a scoring system that's going to include both these sort of concrete emission-related things and also these non-chemical stressors that will identify what additional requirements there might be. And we don't know what those are yet. They may be monitoring-related, additional public outreach. Uh, We're going to find out. But um, that will be probably the first true 
call it rulemaking or, or regulation that comes from the federal government that has a specific EJ focus. And that's a big one because that could reach into a lot of permitting projects that go on and really change the dynamics of what's required. Rich, is there any sense for timing around that or what's going on at, at EPA around that, that where folks might be able to anticipate something? Yeah, I, I mean, I think at this point, it's probably end of the year at the earliest, considering you know it was supposed to just come out. We know that a draft version of this guidance was being floated around EPA last uh, July. So it's not... Uh, totally new, but the fact that you know, the SAB is asking for help and ideas on how to support this uh, suggests to me that it's probably not about to drop in the next month or two. Got it. Rich, I know you gave, uh, we'll, we'll have the webinar presentation you provided that goes into more depth, I think, on some of these topics. So folks who are listeners of the podcast should go check that out as well on our website. You gave some general suggestions, advice on things looking forward, like some practical advice on what are some things that companies can be doing right now to plan ahead, prepare, look at information, things like that. So I figure maybe we could close it out. We've talked about some of the tools. We've talked about some of the regulations and policy, what's happening at the states and at the federal level. What's your general advice on some steps companies can take to make sure that they're accounting for everything that's uh, going on now and everything that might be coming up. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest issues right now, honestly, is that there are not regulations right. in most cases related to these. So you don't necessarily know what to expect. And I think even the states don't necessarily know what to expect. So there's not a lot of consistency about what's being required. Right. So how can you, um, kind of buffer yourself against these unexpected things? A lot of it's about being proactive, and engaging your community beforehand, you know, if you're talking about doing a, a permit action or even if you're not, you know, just to kind of uh, get organized and, and become more part of the community. But some of the things that you can do to kind of stay ahead of things is, first of all, know what your state policies and requirements are, because every state's a little different. And, and a lot of states have no particular EJ policy, but they're starting to drop little things into rules here and there that might require a little more if a project is is in an area that they consider to be an EJ community. So know what those requirements are and get involved in the rulemaking process. If they start, you know, maybe the state is looking for public comments, be prepared to comment. Um, know what kind of permit, um, what kind of comments that have happened uh, at facilities around you on their permit actions? Are they environmental justice based or, uh, and how were they addressed? How did the state react? Be prepared to, you know, uh, respond uh, in kind if you need to. Know what the concerns of your communities around you are in advance so that you can address them and maybe build that into your projects where, where it's relevant. Know what your facilities emit uh, having good solid emissions inventory of toxics and such is critically important because if you do get involved in some kind of uh, activity from a from an intervener on one of your your projects, you're probably going to end up with them having that information or uh, what they believe is that information as part of that package, and you want to be able to either uh, correct the data or provide data that they don't have in order to defend your facility. Again, being proactive, if you're going to undertake a permit action that's going to 
result in increased emissions. Do some modeling or monitoring beforehand to understand what impact that might have so that you can you know, be prepared to mitigate or talk about it. But, you know, in general, in terms of the true environmental justice part of it, just engage your communities and and get them involved so they they feel like they're a partner with your facility as opposed to kind of a antagonist protagonist kind of relationship. Good practical advice, Rich. And there's really good, neat examples of some things that facilities are doing to engage with their communities and having focused resources that are really just thinking about that aspect of it and doing some really routine, really typical, really intentional events, educational sessions, tours, things like that. So there's lots of different ways to do that. Um, if companies get out there and talk to their peers, some some pretty cool examples of that that are going on right now. Rich, good advice all around. Anything else you have to add on EJ as a topic? Anything we didn't talk about that uh, you feel like our listeners should know? No, I think, again, the 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 trick around uh, environmental justice right now and a lot of the permit actions that we see or opposition to permit actions we see come around, again, that lack of regulation that provides such a wide lane and uh, a wide variety uh, of approaches in terms of how it's being looked at. And, you know, I think what we'll be watching for in the future is there's um, a decent amount of confusion and inconsistency in how the different agencies are talking. So, you know, keep a close eye on that. Look for some more concrete requirements and discussions and be prepared to uh, comment. That's what I would advise. Rich, thanks for the time. Thanks, as always, everybody, for listening. And we hope that you'll join us next time. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.